we are in the book of Revelation, the 20th chapter, and while you're turning there, let me just say that we do have that harvest um, festival coming up on Saturday night, and one of the reasons that we're doing this is, is a, as an outreach to, uh, to kids in our community. Um, building bridges, really, is, is what I look at this as being. Um, some people say, well, I, I just don't believe in that, and that's okay. You know, I, I never expect you to, to be involved in something that you feel convicted about or you don't feel comfortable with. I know there's a lot of people that just, you know, when it comes to Halloween, it's like, eh, just not so sure about that whole thing. We're not doing Halloween, okay, but we are giving our kids an opportunity to dress up. And most importantly, we are reaching out to the community and letting parents know We've got a wonderful place here for your kids, a safe place for your kids, and we care enough about your kids that we'll give them candy. That says it all. <laughs> so we're in the book of Revelation, 20th chapter. We just have a couple more chapters left, and then we'll be starting in the book of Acts. So that will be exciting as well. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1, that I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Now, this kind of sounds a little familiar. Let me take you back to Revelation 9.1, where it says, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Now, this is, these are separate events, and now that, that angel at, at the, uh, or that, that fallen angel, I should say, that, um, that fell in the, in the ninth chapter, we read about in the ninth chapter, um, opened the bottomless pit, and unleashed havoc upon this planet. But now this is a different angel. This is a godly angel. This angel comes down to the bottomless pit. Notice he has two things. He has the key, and he has a great chain. Now, what does he do with those things? Well, let's read verse 2. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and he cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. All right, by way of illustration today, I brought masking tape. And I, I thought they made a major improvement on masking tape. You know, I, I remember when, you know, you used to, peel it, and it would tear off, and you'd end up with these little strips, and then you'd have to, you know, go down four or five layers, and it would still peel that same way. And I was telling the first service about that, and I said, and you know, that masking tape used to be really raunchy, and then I opened this brand new one that did the same thing. Okay, so we're going to get lucky this time. Okay, now why is pastor using masking tape today? So we can bind Satan, no. Okay. Now, you understand, golly, okay, I should have prepared this ahead of time. Give me five more seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay, here we go. Oh, crud. Okay, now, look at that. <laughs> okay, now pretend the masking tape worked really well, okay? Use your imagination. Visualize, not this, but the full roll, okay? And you understand, if you paint it, you understand the concept of masking tape, right? That you mask the areas that you don't want to get paint on, right? And if you're using masking tape like this cheap junk that Pastor Ray buys, you, you end up painting over everything and then scraping it all off with razor blades. <laughs> 
But the idea of masking tape is that you are, you are masking off a couple of areas, several areas, that you don't want to touch on. Now, what I love about this 20th chapter is we've been reading about all these things that are coming upon the planet. You know, the judgments that are coming, the, the seals that were open. You remember the trumpet judgments that came, the uh, bowls of, of God's wrath that were poured out. We read about all of that. Now, all that's masked off right now. Okay, because we're not talking about that anymore. And then when we get to the end of the book, we, start, we hear a little bit about eternity and what's going to happen forever. But right now, all of that is masked off, and we are focusing on this thousand years. You notice that, that, that a thousand years was mentioned two times in this verse. Not only that, but it will be mentioned four more times in this chapter, because this chapter talks about the thousand years. Now let me just preface this by saying, in theological circles, there are two ideas when it comes to the thousand-year reign that, that, um, that is being spoken about here by, by John. And the first idea is premillennial point of view, which simply says this is all literal, okay? Jesus is going to return. He is going to establish his kingdom here on earth for a thousand years, and he's going to reign here. Now, there are, there are the amillennials, amillennials, a meaning no or, or uh, none. Uh, they, they believe that that uh, the thousand years has already begun, that it be actually began, Satan was bound when Jesus died on the cross. And so we've had this, this thousand years of peace. Um, well, it's been more than a thousand years. I, I don't know how that, that whole thing works, but that's, you know, the idea that they have. And, you know, I just have one opinion about that. If, if Satan was bound back when Jesus died on the cross, he's got a really long chain, okay? Uh, but the purpose of this removal, okay, um, is clearly stated here, is to prevent Satan from deceiving the world any longer. And Satan has been deceiving people from the beginning. I mean, when he approached Eve and said, hasn't God said that you can eat from any of the trees of the garden? And she said, well, we're not allowed to mess with that tree. And he said, oh, well, you have to understand that God is holding out on you. He knows that the day you eat of that tree, you're going to be wise like he is. You're going to know right and wrong. All you know right now is right. Okay? But there's this whole other realm that you haven't experienced. And if you will eat of this, and, and the word tells us that you looked at this tree and as, as a desirable uh, fruit to make someone wise. Okay? So she was deceived. And Satan has continued that deception throughout all eternity. God, he, God has, has allowed him um, not to be bound until this point. And, and what has happened is he has, through his deception, told people that wrong is right and that right is wrong. And, and through time, you know, he's, he's deceived people into thinking, wow, you know, if you, you just kind of express yourself sexually, then you'll, you'll be happy. Or if you get enough money, you'll be happy. Or if you take enough drugs, you'll find happiness. And, and he's been deceiving the world and, and deceiving people into buying into things that aren't real and that really don't satisfy. Well, he is bound for this thousand years. Years. That time of deception is going to stop. And for a thousand years, this earth is going to live in peace. Look at verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to, the, to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So we're told here that, that people that rule and reign with Jesus are the saints, okay? So that will be what we're doing. In case you're thinking that, you know, um, eternity is some kind of eternal retirement program, it's not that at all. Um, we rule and reign with Jesus. In particular, the group that is mentioned here of ruling with him are those who had 
paid for their lives. They had paid with their lives, I should say, for not accepting the mark of the beast. They wouldn't go along with that world system. They said no, and they were put to death. Well, here they are, alive again. Verse 5, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So now we have, it's mentioned here that the rest of the dead people will not live again for a thousand years. So we have everything masked off right here because we're only talking about this thousand years. This thousand years when Jesus comes to earth and he rules and he reigns here. Now we're going to read at the end of the chapter what happens but to, to those that, that don't get resurrected with the first resurrection. But I want you to notice that last phrase, this is the first resurrection. This is it. Okay, this concludes the first resurrection. And you know that Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. First uh, Corinthians 15th chapter, 20th verse tells us that. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. And then we saw other people resurrected, right? When, uh, when the Lord descended from heaven with the shout, the trumpet of God, the voice of the archangel, the dead in Christ rose first. We who are alive and remain were caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We are forever with the Lord, okay? We receive a new glorified body. The Word tells us that, that, beloved, now we are the children of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when, we, when he shall appear, we shall see him as he is, for we shall be like him. All right? So we're going to be just like him, have the same kind of glorified body that he had, and that's what's happening here. We're finding that the, those that died during the tribulation period also receive a new glorified body, and this concludes the first resurrection. Look at verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So that's the good news, okay? We have the, the, uh, the first resurrection or the second death. You participate in one or the other. You're either in the first resurrection or you experience the second death. Now, the good news is if you experience the first resurrection, the second death has no power over you. And the second death is when individuals, Satan himself, cast the lake of fire, this place that, that is eternally separated from God, that's the second death. Not just dying physically, but now being eternally separated from God. Second death. First death, kick the bucket. Second death, eternally separated. Got it? Okay. Now, the, the thousand years, it mentions here again that, um, that blessed are, are those who have part in that first resurrection, for they will reign with Christ for a thousand years. Now, let me tell you what that takes place on planet Earth during this time. There are those individuals who have taken the mark of the beast, those who have aligned themselves against God, those who fight against the return of the Lord at the battle of Armageddon. They are destroyed. Now, there are individuals on the Earth at that time that have not taken the mark of the beast, that have not bought into that whole system, and they are physically alive. When this millennial reign begins, their lives are extended, okay? And they begin to procreate, and they end up repopulating the earth. Now, those are the people that the saints are ruling over. We're ruling with Christ, we're reigning with Christ, and those are the individuals that we are, we are watching over, okay? We are ruling over, I should say. Now, let me give you a couple of descriptions of this. Come with me back to the book of Isaiah. I've got two stops, one in, verse, pardon me, in chapter 60 and one in chapter 65. So here's the first one, Isaiah 60, verse 10. 
The sons of the of foreigners shall build up your walls, and their king shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. And he's talking about Jerusalem. Therefore your gates shall be opened continually. They shall not be shut day or night, that men may bring to you the wealth of the Gentiles and their kings in procession. For the nation and kingdom which will not serve you shall perish, and those nations shall be utterly ruined. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the pine, and the box tree together to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. Also the sons of those who afflicted you shall come bowing to you, and all those who despise you shall fall prostrate at the soles of your feet, and they shall call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated so that no one went through you, I will make you an eternal excellence, a joy of many generations. You shall drink of the milk of Gentiles, of the Gentiles and milk of the breasts of kings." You shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Israel. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. I will also make your officers peace and your magistrates righteousness. Violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders, but you shall, be, you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Now listen to one more thing. No more... Isaiah 65, verse 20. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days. For an old man who is not, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. Now, it, it, what, what he's telling us here is that you will stop being an infant when you reach 100. Okay? So you're just a kid until you reach that century mark. Because what happens during this, this time, this thousand-year reign of Jesus, is the earth is as God originally intended it to be. When God created Adam and Eve, they placed them in that, in that wonderful garden that he had made. His plan for them was for them to walk in obedience and for them to be blessed and for them to never die. And that's why he gave them the warning. The day you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. Because if you don't eat of that tree, you're not going to die. You're going to live forever. So they would have had their children and their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, and, and perpetually things would have gone on, nobody perishing. Okay? And if nobody's perishing, then you can say, man, if you're 100 years old, you're still a baby. Right? And that's what we're seeing here. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. In other words, you have this really long life. Okay? You plant the vineyard, and you're eating the fruit of it. You're building the house, you're staying there forever. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall, the days of, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall enjoy, shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain nor bring forth children for trouble. They shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf will, and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains. So how wonderful is this? Okay, the ox and the lamb, or, or the lion and the lamb are laying down together. The oxen and, and, the, um, and the lion, 
uh, pardon, the, the wolf and the lamb are, are lying down together. The lion and, and the ox both eat straw. Everybody's vegetarian, okay? We don't have any more steaks going on. Sorry, guys. Um, and, and for this thousand years, nothing is hurting, nothing is destroying, okay? It's all life. And when you think of what a contrast that is to what took place at the end of the tribulation period where the whole ecological system of the world had been destroyed, that God steps in and there is this incredible um, thousand years of, of wonderful blessing upon the planet. And of course, Satan is bound this thousand years. How great is that? I mean, that's just, that's just a perfect time. Now we get to the end of the thousand years. Look at verse 7. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. And your first question I know is, why? Why in the world would Satan, we got him bound in the abyss. He's chained up. He's, he can't do anything. He can't deceive people any longer. Why would God ever allow him to be released? Think of it. In this way, the people that have been born during this time have never known temptation. They have never known evil. Evil has been bound for a thousand years. They have never been tried. They have never been at the point where they could make a choice. That's, that's where Adam and Eve were. God said, hey, how many commandments did God give Adam and Eve? One. Thou shalt not. One thing. You can do anything you want, anytime you want to do it, but there's one thing you can't do. Just one commandment. You think man's not corrupt. One commandment. And we messed up on the one commandment. Come on! And then we end up with ten, and we all blow the tent, okay? But, you know, that just one thing. There was only one thing you couldn't do. Why'd they do it? Now we have this whole group of people who have been born during this, this thousand years. They've never known evil at all. They've never been tempered. I remember the first lesson I ever got in tempering was when I was living in Colorado, and I, I did a tour of, uh, of a mattress factory, the Spring Air mattress factory in, in Denver. And I remember going through there, and, and they had all this bulk wire, and they had these incredible machines, and these machines would make those wires into coils. And then it would also take those coils and attach them to a metal frame. And then they would take that metal frame before they put any, any padding on it, any material on it, and they would put it in, a, in an oven. And they would bake that thing. They would take it up to hundreds and hundreds of degrees. They would let it cool. They would do it again. Because if they didn't do that, the metal wouldn't hold its shape. And it was only through tempering that the metal would ever hold its shape. And so... Carmel and I still have a Springer mattress. My goodness, that's been how many years? That's been like 25 years ago that, that we bought that mattress. And, and that mattress is still a good mattress because of that tempering that that metal goes through. And you understand it's the same way with when it comes to people. That we really can't choose to serve God if we don't have a choice to do something else. And here are these people that that have never had that opportunity. They, they've never been, been tried. They've never been tempted. They've, they have never been tempered. Okay? Look, look at Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. It says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone. I want you to use that word. A tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Because that word tried literally means to test, prove, 
try, it's used of gold, persons, and the heart. And the word also means tempered. Behold, I lay in Zion a, for a foundation, a tempered stone, one that has gone through the heat. Okay? And Jesus was, was tempered. Look at Hebrews, the fourth chapter, the 15th verse. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus endured that temptation, and that's why we're, we're to be looking to him, okay? Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And so we have a high priest who has been tempered. Jesus went through temptations, just like you and I go through temptations, he didn't sin. He didn't give in. But the temptations are what make us strong, okay? So it's not just a matter of, of you living here on earth and going through your, your normal life. Um, in, in case you're, you're thinking, well, you know, heaven doesn't sound real appealing to me. You know, I don't like harps. I don't like sitting on clouds. That, you know, that just doesn't sound fun to me at all. Um, the sleeping in a mansion does sound really fun, but, you know, the whole harp cloud thing doesn't sound that great to me. But understand that the life that you're going through right now is the tempering oven. Will you make the right choices? Will you last through the heat? Will you not be destroyed by the flame? Will you endure to the end? Let me share some of those thoughts, okay? 2 Timothy uh, 2.12, if we endure... We shall also reign with him, which is what we're reading about here in the 20th chapter. Uh, Paul, when he's writing to Timothy, says, you know, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And, and Paul wasn't telling Timothy to do something he wasn't doing. Listen to what he says about his life in 1 first, in first Corinthians, the fourth chapter. He said, to the present hour, we, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. We labor working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we endure. Okay, and you may say, well, but, yeah, that was Paul, and Paul could take anything. I can't take that. That's not what the Word says. The Word says that there is no temptation that's overtaken you, except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. And I love that statement in the middle of that. There's no temptation that's taken you, but those temptations which are common to man. Okay, all of us face the same kind of temptations. But even in our temptation, God is faithful, right? He is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So God is going to get you through, and sometimes we don't allow God to get us through. We just go ahead and give in to the temptation. The temptation comes, and we just kind of fall over. Okay, you win, right? But if we endure that temptation and we resist that temptation, God will step up, and he will enable us to make it through that. Okay, I love the way James puts it. He says, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. And in order to do God's will, you have to make up your mind, this is not a sprint. This is an endurance race, Okay. And Paul, again, writing to Timothy, says, But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Because if you endure, you get a reward. What's the reward? James 1.12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to all those who love him. You endure, you get the reward. You endure, you get eternal life. And realize that the trials you're going through right now are not to destroy you, they are to temper you. And they are going to make you strong. 
and only those who endure are saved. Jesus said, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. So at the end of the thousand years, we have this great multitude of people that have never been tempered, have never experienced temptation, have never um, experienced the, the onslaught of that. They have lived this wonderful, protected, joy-filled, gracious life, okay? And you would think at that point when temptation comes, what are they going to do? They're going to resist it, right? They're going to say, I'm not giving this up. This, is, this life is too great, okay? God has been too good to us. Eh, if that's what you're thinking, let's read on. Verse 8. Remember verse 7? Verse 7 said that after the thousand years, Satan will be released from prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. Oh, come on. Come on. How could he gather that many people in the world that's full of people now, been completely repopulated? How in the world could he gather so many together to rebel against the Lord and his authority? He does it. Verse 9, they went up on the breadth of the earth and, and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And verse 10, we can all say, yeah, baby, too. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Yeah. Not bound for a thousand years, but tormented forever and ever in the lake of fire. And we mentioned this before, that this was what Jesus talked about in Matthew 25, 41, when he said the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Originally made for the devil and his angels because they were in rebellion against God. At this point in time, where we are in the book of Revelation, there's only two inhabitants, the false prophet and the Antichrist. They were, when Jesus returned, they were cast alive into the lake of fire. Satan was bound for a thousand years. Now Satan becomes the third inhabitant of the lake of fire. However, he is not the last inhabitant. Let's read on. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Okay? God is meticulous when it comes to record keeping. Everything has been recorded. And God is far more advanced in all of this than we are. I mean, we've become really good at data management in our day. You know, man, we have computers. We have our smartphones. We have all these things that, that control data. We can see videos. And, and if God would have said, you know, and the videos will be played back in the first century, they'd say, what in the world is a video? Okay? But he used the term books, and the books will be opened. And in those books is your record, the record of every individual who has ever lived. Not just your birth date, not just the high points of your life, but some of the low points of your life. 
Jesus talked about the fact that, but I say to you, he said in, in Matthew 12, 36, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God has records of everything. Okay? Every idle word you've ever spoken, every thought you've ever had, every intent, intentions that, that you've had that you know, maybe things didn't work out right, but God is looking past the action. He's looking at the intent. He's looking at what you were feeling, what was deepest in your heart when you did that or when you said that or when you reacted that way. Everything is opened. And not only that, but now we find the books are open. Now, in case you're thinking, you know, that this whole white throne judgment thing is really fast. Okay, everybody gets 10 seconds. Okay, your 10 seconds are up. No, God's going to take as long as it takes. Okay? We're, we're stepping into eternity where there is no more time. And there's not going to be one person who is in heaven by mistake or who is in hell by mistake. Not one. Okay? There will be no errors in judgment here. And there will be no one who will be able to say to God, God, you were unfair to me. No one. And so the books are opened. And individuals, in fact, let's, let's read on into the, the, next, the next verse, verse 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. So everyone at this point in time, remember the, the, the first resurrection was finished a thousand years before this. Now we have this, the second resurrection, and these are... These are the souls of everybody. So it's not just a matter of the Lord descending from heaven with a shout, the trumpet of God, the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ rising. Now we have everybody else rising. And everyone else comes and stands before God, and an account is made of their lives. And they are all judged according to their works. Verse 14. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Okay, we talked about the first resurrection. Now we're talking about the second death. The second death is being cast into the lake of fire. Now look at verse 15. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So the way that you get to heaven is not having your record, um, not in your record having the good outweigh the bad. It's not a matter of in your record was the fact that, that you went to church on a regular basis. And because you went to church on a regular basis, congratulations, you get to go to heaven. The ones who are in heaven are the ones who have their name written in the book of life. That's the final authority. Regardless of how good or how bad you've been. And when you think about this, you're thinking, oh man, this is going to be really embarrassing. Okay? I mean, when I stand before God and, and God opens the books and he starts reading all this junk that I've done and these people I've gone to church with and we think I'm so good, they're going to hear what a raunchy person I really was. You don't have to worry about that, okay? Because if you're a believer and you've been forgiven, God has removed his, your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. He will never remember it again. It will never be recalled. Your, 
the pages of you in the books are blotted out. The page has been torn out, okay? You're, the wrong that you've done is not even there, okay? And you stand before Christ when you ascend to, to be with him, and you stand before him, and you are rewarded for what you've done. Okay? He's not dredging up all the mistakes of your past and all those things that are under the blood and all those things that have been forgiven. Not at all. Thank God. If you're not going to heaven for other, no other reason, if you're not interested in Jesus for no other reason, get interested in him because he's going to do away with your record. How sweet is that? Okay? Now, for those of you that had tickets and have insurance, you know that insurance companies don't do away with your record. They penalize you for your record. It, at least three years. <laughs> but you know what? If you put your faith in Christ, the record is expunged. It's gone. Deleted. Not found in the book. They're turning pages and there's, oh, there's a page missing. Ray, you must have been in here at one time. Yes, I was but I'm not anymore. Thank you very much, okay? Nothing to do with my own goodness, all to do with his grace. So when these stand before God, those who have, have lived an evil life stand before him. And, and I realize that there's some people, and, and it's important to understand that there are some people who've been good people. They've been good moral people, okay? But you understand that it's no one is saved because of what's in those books, that's what, if you don't get anything else out of this today, I want you to get that. No one is saved because of their works. All their works are recorded in the books, and no one is saved because of their works. Anyone who is saved is saved because their name is written in the book of life. I can't say it any simpler than that. You say, well, I've lived a good life. I don't doubt that. I don't doubt the fact that there's 88 pages of good stuff written about you. Eh, maybe 10, 15 bad, but, you know, you got a lot of good. But we don't read of anyone, of anyone missing eternal separation from God because their works were good enough. We see them missing heaven because their name was written in the book. So how do I get to heaven? Just have your name written in the book. And how do I do that? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay? So you realize that it's not your own works that are going to get you there. It's not your goodness. It's not, you know, how well you've done. It's the fact that Jesus came into this world and he died for you because there was no other way to atone for mankind's sin other than for Jesus to die for that sin. And Jesus came and he died for the sin of the whole world. And the ones whose names are written in the book of life are those who believe that and believe in him. That's it. That's how simple the whole plan is. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for, the, for masking off all the other stuff as we got to the, the, uh, the 20th chapter. And we've just been focusing on this thousand years, this, this thousand years that takes place after you return the wonderful way the world becomes and, and the repopulation of the world and the binding of Satan. And then, and, and then we get to the end of that thousand years where Satan is released and gathers together a great army of rebels against you and they are destroyed and then we come to the very end. At the very end, there is this great white throne judgment and everyone who has ever lived 
stands before you at that time. Those books are open, and they are judged. And there's one final book that's open. And God, it's that final book that we're interested in today. We want to know, Lord, that our names are written in that book. Because if our names are written in that book, we have eternal life. And so, God, we're not going to trust in our own works. We're not going to trust in our own goodness. We're not going to say, well, if I was God, this is the way I would do it. We are not saying that at all, God. We're saying, you're God. This is the way you're going to do it. And we want to make sure, we want to make sure that our names are written there. And with your heads bowed, your eyes closed for just a second longer today. You have no idea what your future holds. No idea at all. I know Carolyn's sitting here today, and, and Carolyn was in a terrible accident a few years ago. And, and just out of nowhere, just out of nowhere, she, she was so close to being killed in that accident. We have no idea what the future holds for us. We have no idea how long we'll live. I mean, we could drive out of, uh, dri- be driving home today and, and, have, and have that same kind of terrible accident and not survive it and not make it through and be killed right there, and be thrust into eternity, and never have a chance again, never have an opportunity again to make sure of what we're asking you to be sure of today, to be sure that your name's in the book, okay? And it's, it's not difficult for your name to be in the book. All you have to do is believe. And maybe you're sitting here right now and you've never taken that step. I mean, you've, you've gone to church, you've, you've read the Bible, you've heard the Bible read to you, you've, you've heard message after message, maybe on the radio, maybe on TV and in person, and you've, you've gone to church your whole life, but, but there's never been a time, there's never been a time when you said, that's it. I am going to put my faith in Jesus Christ. I am going to trust in him with all my heart. Today is that day for you. This is that time. I, I guess what, what really gets me is, is when I think about those individuals standing before that great white throne and realizing I had this opportunity and that opportunity and this opportunity and this opportunity. And how many times did I hear a message like I've heard today and I've never responded and I don't want you to hear from the books that, oh yeah, by the way, On October 23rd, 2011, you had a chance. You had an opportunity to believe, but you didn't take advantage of it. Today, we're not going to let that opportunity pass. Today is the day when you can put your faith in Christ and know beyond any doubt that your name's there, that you are in the right book. And you may say, well, I don't even know where to start with that. I don't even know where to begin. And that's an important thing. Because what we're going to do right now is the beginning. This isn't all there is to Christianity, okay? But this is the beginning. After this, you need to get baptized in water. After this, you need to start reading the Word and and the Bible and letting God speak to you. After this, you need to get plugged into fellowship and you need to grow. But this is where it begins. This is a starting place. And if you're at that point, you're saying, okay, I need to start this thing. I need the starting place. The starting place begins with a simple prayer in which you confess to God that you've sinned Ask for his forgiveness and put your faith in Christ. And I'm going to help you with that right now. And as you pray this prayer with me, I want you to pray it out loud. And to make that part easy, we're going to pray it together so that you don't feel strange or awkward praying out loud in church. So let's say this together. Heavenly Father, I admit to you that I have sinned. And it's been my choice. It's been my fault. 
and I own it. And I ask you today to forgive me. Forgive me of all of my sin. Forgive me all of my mistakes. Forgive me for all the times to handle on the thousand years, right? Congratulations. Okay? You're going to get accepted or not, you're getting blessed this week. And the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Reuben and Elba, would you guys mind making yourselves available for prayer today? And Reuben and Elba are going to be down here. And if you need prayer before you leave, maybe there's something going on in your life. You just really need someone to agree with you and to pray with you and to talk to you. Reuben and Elba are going to be down here right now. If you're sick, uh, James, the fifth chapter says, if any are sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. They'll anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. We believe that, and we have oil down here too. So if you are sick and you need to be healed, they will be more than happy to pray with you and to agree with you regarding that too. Have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for being here today. Don't forget, if you bought candy apples, you go out this door right over here. You can pick them up. Thank you. Bye-bye.